0: Before we get going, this is a second part of our deep, a massive deep dive, which came to almost three hours on the 1987 Rugby World Cup final. If you haven't listened to the first part, please go listen to that. That's up separately elsewhere. Please go and listen to that because otherwise the rest of this won't make any sense. If you have listened to that already, then perfect. Thank you. And please enjoy the rest of this very delightful final episode of the 1987 series podcast. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to
1: 1987 with Squidge, with Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. There's a point where New Zealand run a move. It was Kirk passes to Kerwin, who then tries to just loop the ball around somebody's head and offload it back to Kirk on the blind side. And yes. Keith says on the comms that that's the move with the dirty French word as the code name. Yes. So, yeah. Merdeball, Ball, I presume. Just thought it was really interesting. It's a bit more creative than Lefto or Righto or 89, but yeah. Just thought it was interesting, worth pointing out. It could be condom. It could be condom.
0: <laughs> At one point during a line out, New Zealand dudes just call condom, condom, because they've guessed wh- who it's going to. But it's just, it's funny, isn't it? It's funny that they just yeah, Tom yeah. over and over again.
1: Yeah. Cause it's a word. It's a good bit. Yeah. yeah At one point you bit. can hear
0: Grant Fox on the, the mic shouting, it's going to Shamp. And uh, and Eric Chomp immediately just tries to like, budge Michael Jones out of the way so he can get the ball in contest <laughs> and now he knows what's happening. And Jones steals it because Shamp is too focused on trying to take his opposite man out.
1: <laughs> and you know what? Like, I have no problem with that like that's just nope. pure shithousery to almost a de- well to a I guess a detrimental extent but who cares you're <laughs> yeah, under yeah, his skin yeah. now that's don't you worry champ? all over yeah also well. you mentioned you mentioned grant fox like once you notice once him like being vocal you can hear his voice all day long on the ref mic mm. and like he he is extremely vocal and again He's a World Cup winning fly-off. What do you expect? But also, yeah, just yeah. like once you get a kind of a knack for it, when you are watching this game, you kind of realize like, oh no, he's like he's being a real control freak at this point, and I love that.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. commanding. Yeah. There is at one point there is a close-up of him, and you can very hear, clearly hear the word "drive" come out of his mouth. Drive, yeah,
1: out. yeah, which is great, and you just well, love like. Stolen. I love, yeah, unfortunately, because I was, I was really looking forward to that because like there's a real intensity in the way he says it and oh, yeah, I just, just there's a moment around this point.
0: Oh, (laughs) yeah, even in 1987, man, it's great. It's great. Uh, They should do this more. These two, anyway. They should play more games in 1987. And the other thing we didn't mention beforehand, right? The last game between these two, France had won. The last time these two teams played, about two years earlier, France had won. Blimey. Like there was pressure on New Zealand. Like this yeah. was kind of their bogey team even back then, and it always kind mm. of has been throughout the history of New Zealand rugby. Like France is the team they almost fear most because of the team that will upset them out of nowhere. Uh, they... Whereas Australia, the rival, South Africa, are kind of rivals for a different reason. France are the the team that every now and again they're the monkey. That the monkey just lives on mm. their back, or the
1: chicken, as it were, that lives on their back. <laughs> the Jean Chiquen. There's a point where on the comms they say the only thing that's going to be predictable about France today is the unpredictability in their play. And it was just like, Please. oh my god, you've just coined so many cliches that we're gonna use on the <laughs> BBC in the next thirty five years. You
0: no know which team's gonna turn up.
1: No, not a clue, but I've not heard that said once in the punditry of this tournament, and I'm delighted with that.
0: There's a moment as well in the game, to get back to it, mm. of Grant Fox because we are just talking about him, and this happens around the point we were at, the sheer speed of thought of that man is so far ahead of everyone else here. He's you know fantastic. The... One of the things that you talk about when you talk about a player like George Ford, Paolo Garbizzi, like a lot of modern tens, like, like re... I'm talking really modern tens rather than just tens you're playing nowadays. Like mm-hmm. a... this isn't necessarily true, but it is to a certain extent of someone like Dan Bigger or Andre Pollard or whoever.
1: yeah. But you're right, new but young friends moments... who have grown up in this version of rugby.
0: Exactly, exactly. Who've kind of come through a very different system and very different yes. ideas and approaches to the game. Roman and Tamak, you know, another example. Like, there's, yeah. there's plenty of them out there.
1: Jalibert, yeah. A lot of
0: them, you know, continually coming through. Jalibert brilliant one, yeah. And there's a moment where the ball is knocked on and Grant Fox immediately scoops it up and pings it into the corner. <gasps> and the sheer speed of thought of him doing that and seeing that and also like I made putting it shallow enough that if the winger was close if the winger was holding his wit for other, Green would have scored it's beautiful and so f- it's fast to the point at which he has clearly whilst defending identified the space behind in cases of yeah. like yeah. he hasn't looked up in between I was, he just, I was thinking he just the ball and like, instantly does the kick
1: he anticipates the game so much better than any of the 10 in the whole tournament including Michael Liner yeah. actually because he puts in a hurrah. kick. Yes, indeed. He puts in a kick and thinks, what if this kick goes wrong? What if yeah. this doesn't bounce into touch and then he'll cover the ground of where they're going to kick it back to or tell somebody else to. And he's so insanely smart in the way he anticipates the game. Yeah, he's unbelievable once again, Grant Fox.
0: Yeah, he is the finest rugby brain in this tournament by a long
1: distance. Such uh, a long, Such a long distance. So like, speaking of Grant Fox, mm, New okay. Zealand are given a free kick five metres out from the French try line It's probably mm-hmm. 15 metres away from the touch line, And yes. yeah. Grant Fox is stood on the 22-metre line, maybe two me- two steps further back than that. And it's clearly something they've pre-planned. He says to David Kirk, just pull it all the way back, okay? Because, as the rule is, with a free kick or a penalty, if you're going to take a quick tap, you can't take it forward from the mark, left or right from the mark. You can take it backwards from the mark. Mm. And so he tells them, just come back 20 metres, mate. And they go back twenty meters, yeah. and the pass from Kirk to Fox is two yards, maybe. If that, if that, if that, if it's so small. And obviously, back then it's you were allowed. A pop pass. Yes, you were allowed to go for a drop goal straight from a free kick at that point. That's obviously been banned yeah. since. And and they do. You're right. It's it's a pop pass. Just meaning that the defense, the French defence have to start on the try line because that's where the back five back ten from the the mark of the penalty is, mm. and so Fock gets a free shot of the goal from twenty yards away, and obviously absolutely nails it. It's a brilliant kick, yeah, and it's just so well organised by the All Blacks. Generally,
0: it's unbelievably
1: training ground. Like mm. it's the most
0: of any goal kick you see, any attempt at free points you'll yeah. ever see in rugby. One of the safest bets. Certainly the safest bet's not straight in front of the Exactly, matches. yeah. Because it doesn't feel like there's any pressure on him at all. All it requires you know, is like the man having the see... skill to
1: pop it over. That's the only thing it requires. Yeah.
0: When you see in a normal game, just any match, a kicker taking a shot at goal from the tip, yeah. right? Everyone's eyes are on them and that creates an automatic level of pressure. Does, yeah. That is not the case in no. it. It feels like he's doing it on the training pitch because there's no French player within 20 meters of him. Yeah. You know, even the quickest player rushing up is still about 10 meters away by the time the ball's left his boot. Yeah. There's no pressure on him whatsoever, and he's just hitting it normally as any scenario, and you can see what's going to happen. Mm. You can guess what's going to happen from the setup. But you kind of, because initially the four was set up as a screen, and that doesn't happen. They then just pop it to him and he knocks it over. Cool as you like, really, really calm. Grant Fox, very good at rugby. Kicks the ball a lot, though, doesn't he? Yeah.
1: I was going to say, there's a point. It was on 2017 Lions Tour in the third test. It was Geordie Barrett's test debut. There was a point Mm. the referee just blew for half-time. Geordie Barrett happened to have the ball in his hand. He was still on the wing. He was practically on the touchline dead on halfway, and he just drop kicks the ball. And then as the the TV cuts to the aerial view, you can see that he nails the drop goal because there is no level of any material pressure on him whatsoever. If he was in the exact yeah. same situation where the, all of the opposition are in the exact same place, nobody's actually trying to charge him down, but the ball was actually in play, he probably would have missed that. Yeah, exactly. And that is exactly what you're saying. He's under no pressure whatsoever. And all it requires is just a small level of execution, which he has. And the All Blacks have prepared for that to just completely minimise the pressure from him. And they get the first three points ever to be scored in the Rugby World Cup final as a result. Valuable.
0: Yeah, about 15 15 minutes in. Very. very And they deserved points, obviously. Yeah. Then very, very shortly afterwards, they get awarded the penalty in the 22 as Mm. well from a similar situation. First penalty of the game, 18 minutes in. Yeah. Referee really reluctant to award anything but uncontestable balls for scrums. Yeah. Definitely. So, we then, New Zealand, camped in the French 22. France tried to clear it. They d- don't really get very far. And New Zealand pull a really smart set move. And that set move is, right, previously, John Kerwin's been stopped. Let's try pulling a full back into the line. So, they run a little loop play. They then hit Matt Gallagher's dad entering the line. Yep. Who, frankly, passes a bit too early to Craig Green. Yep. Who f- they have covered well. Because, as you say, it's the fullback entering the lines to the undefendable thing. It's not if he gives another ball. Because <laughs> Craig Green is covered. Craig Green does a little step, goes inside, and you think, still, this could be a chance. This looks... It's the most dangerous attack of the game. It certainly is. And this whole first 20 minutes has been entirely in French territory. Yeah, Like, France have been holding out and defending really well. Yep. But... They're still trapped in their own half. Like yeah. they can't I think the ball gets out of their half twice. Certainly's gotta give eventually, haven't they? You
1: know, it's gotta be yeah. knackering.
0: But somehow France managed to scramble and get onto Craig Green. They grab him about ten meters short of the line when it looked like he was gonna go right through. I think it would have been Didio Cambera, managed to get kind of hands on him, kind of grabs him, drags him a bit, and he goes to throw a miracle ball over the top, hoping someone's wrapped around. Gallagher And Warwick Taylor are both trying to get round there. Neither of them are there in time. The ball bobbles over and goes straight into touch. France have a line out. And as they look to throw it, things start to get the air of maybe they're about to go very pear-shaped.
1: Yes, indeed. First and foremost, this is the first final on this retrospective that we've covered where somebody has selectively passed the ball into touch. I wonder if that'll happen again on a future series in the World Cup final. We'll see. But yes, I then have written in my notes, no way, no way is this the first ever try in the Rugby World Cup final. Because this All Blacks team is so brilliant and talented that they shouldn't have to resort to such bullshit tries as this. So, straight from the line out, Grant Fox, yeah, you what a player, by it. the way. What a player Grant Fox good. is. Before I say any of this, what a player he is. His drop goal attempt from this is absolutely dog shit.
0: No, it's charged down. It's charged down.
1: Oh, it's charged down. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Uh, Jeez, Barney I thought he meant to kick it like that. Okay, no, no, thank no, no, God no, no. it was I thought that down. at
0: first. Then I watched Grant Fox being interviewed, and I think he gives the charge down a little bit too much credit because. I think it would have missed anyway. It's not a great strike. But he says, basically, I made that decision after I'd caught the ball to go for the drop goal because I realised I had time. Right. And he fancied going for it. And then it it scraped off. And he was like, oh, it's one of the French losers. I'm not sure which one. It's Obani. It kind of hits. Who has his hands in the air. It kind of scrags off him and goes in a a ridiculous direction. But it's not a great Mm. drop goal attempt. It was missing anyway. Yeah, But it is charged down. So, you know, well.
1: Bounces along the floor. And poor Patrice Legiske has quite a difficult ball to pick up off his toes. There's bobbling around, like... Because you would think, like, oh, just trap it with your foot or something, but actually, no, he's got John Kerwin bringing down his neck. It's much easier said than done.
0: When you see it in the slow motion angle of that, close-up angle of the ball, right, that is one of the most difficult rugby ball...
1: It's horrid. ...things
0: I've ever seen to pick up. Yeah.
1: Because the ball isn't
0: bouncing, it's spinning. Like, it's on its side, spinning in a circle. It's impossible to pick up without fumbling. Like you, kind of yeah, you, you, you at high not. speed like as well. Like a yeah, yeah, like a bottle. Like when you spin a bottle on, you know, on a surface. Like the ball yeah. is spinning, like with that John Kerwin on like you bobbling. as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. So he has yeah, no it's, time it's whatsoever. He has a horrid top combination. Top try scorer, of
0: one of the quickest players in the tournament. Right, who's a big down
1: physical man as well? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a taller guy than him, and yeah. he has one of the most difficult. It's not even a bounce. It's it's a spin. You'll ever see a of yeah. people. Like, you try so, spinning a ball on the ground and picking it up whilst running onto it. So obviously he fumbles it. Obviously he fumbles and he it. And yeah. knocks it off from spinning it into bouncing. And suddenly that's so much easier to pick up.
1: Yeah. But still, half of New Zealand seem to fumble it. But unfortunately, well, I say unfortunately. Fortunately, they all do it backwards, so it's fine. Yes. Until eventually, Michael Jones picks it up and you think. Oh, it's all good. I mean, he has got a 3 month overlap here, but hopefully Blanco has him covered. And Jones doesn't pass it, and you think like, oh, I expected that, like the All Blacks would have the guy who would pass it, and mm. he he bumps Blanco off, and it's like, oh, okay. Even when they take the wrong options, they're still great and they still score tries. <laughs> like they are human, but <laughs> and yeah, he Michael scores. Jones,
0: of course. Great, great trivia answer here. Who scored the first try in a Rugby World Cup ever? Will. Do you have to bring that up? It was a penalty try. Who? I said who? The first try ever was a penalty try. Correct. The second try in a Rugby World Cup ever was scored by Michael Jones. So he was the first human to ever score in a Rugby World Cup. And then he becomes the first human to ever score in a World Cup final. And Mm. as a cyborg, he intends to be the last. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah. Fox knocks over the conversion, makes it Mm 9-0 to New Zealand. Yep. Which is weird, because France are playing well, and yet
1: it yes. doesn't feel unfair as a scoreline. It's crazy that, isn't it? Because you can give France so much credit for the shit they're doing, and yet there is, they're not even close to having something registered on the scoreboard. Like That yeah. feels so distant, the thought of them scoring even a three-pointer.
0: Yeah, put them 9-0 down. But, right, the great stat, they were 9-0 down in the semi-final, went on to win. And in that year, Six Nations, where they course. won a Grand Slam, they were 9-0 down at one point against England and Wales, and they were 10-0 down against Scotland. And they went on to win all those games on the way to a Grand Slam. and World Cup They backed the themselves? Yeah, They're a team who love a comeback. They're a second-half team, to mm. use the old phrase. And so, this French team, completely unshaken by it, completely mm. not phased by being 9-0 down, still were backing themselves, and were kind of think like... Hoping they'd get over the kind of emotional shakes that Philippe Salah talked about, like that first half they just weren't yes. focused, and they just kind of struggled to to focus for the sheer emotion they were
1: all feeling that was riding through their bodies. With that in mind, can we talk about Bebezier's break?
0: Yes, please.
1: Where he like sort of fakes a box kick, and then literally ducks under Gary Wettin. Like, yeah. his flailing arms ducks under him and makes a line break. And then he slightly panics, and then he refines his composure as he's running. And times have passed brilliantly to Debronca, who's up in support. And they get up into the 22. De Bronco then, like, throws this really needless offload, which hits the floor, and he obviously knocks on. But the referee forgets that it's him who knocks it on and gives France the scrum anyway.
0: Yeah. We also have, like, around this period, like, I think it's just before that, France have not been in the game. They've not had much territory, right? But they have the ball around uh-uh. halfway. And they just do a simple hands-down-the-line move because it was 1987. And yep. they give it to Philippe Seller, who throws a dummy. And all of a sudden, your brain goes, France are not only in the game, they're going to win this. And I went into yeah, this yeah, they have New Philippe Zealand Seller. win it. But the moment Philippe Seller throws a dummy, you're like, well, they can't lose this. He throws a dummy, <laughs> ducks under one tackle... Jinks around the next and goes just glides past the next one. He's just so good to watch, man. He's just It's absolutely yeah. glorious. And every time he's involved, you're like, Oh France could France could score this. France could score this.
1: Philip Seller gets the ball probably about five or six times in the entire game. But every mm. single time you go like, Oh well he's basically the best player in the world.
0: Yeah. I mean the I I did text you whilst I was watching that first half. Just in all caps, give it to Seller. You did. I was just give it. I was just screaming it.
1: Because yeah, he's good unbelievably
0: tactics. great. He is. He's like, so balanced. I think he he's is, just is gorgeous to watch. Next to Grant Fox, the best and most talented player on this field. I think he's better than Blank. There's no doubt. He's the best will in the There's world. There's no doubt. Yeah. I think he's unbelievable as a talent. Mm. And there's a few times he gets mm. the ball. He does another one in the 22 where he throws a dummy and just glides past someone. He has maybe the best dummy I've ever seen. He is utterly, he's brilliant. utterly brilliant and breathtaking to watch yeah. always. I Vintage.
1: Yeah. No, he's utterly box office every single time he gets the ball. Literally, I could mm. watch him play 1v1 rugby and I'd still fall for his dummies. Like, he's yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: But that break you mentioned, yeah, results in France getting the scrum just a few metres mm. out from the line. And they have a chance here. And as we said, every scrum the French have been on top. They have been driving through them. They've had a dominant scrum. And this was in the era pretty much before scrum penalties, right? Like it wasn't yeah. the same as it is now, where dominance
1: gives you a scrum penalty and hence the thirty like, meters. You say France have been dominating them, but fuck me. On dots eats a man here. Like <laughs> it's yeah. absurd the dominance they have here. And it's very clear from all of their body language, we're going for the pushover try here.
0: Yeah. So we have Bebezier, Pats Rodriguez, the number eight on the back and starts running to do mm. an eight, nine move. And Rodriguez is just like, yeah, no chance. He
1: just yeah. says, no, keep running, no. pal. No. This is not coming your way. <laughs> What's the French for piss off? <laughs> The referee holds his hand out for an advantage because New Zealand very clearly yeah. collapsed the scrum. What, and you thing? go like this
0: is a clear penalty try. This is the clearest scrum penalty yes. try you'll ever see because the ball is about to yes. go over the line there like an inch out and New Zealand drop it and crumple so that they can't get over. I think this is mm.
1: the most clean cut scrum penalty try I've ever seen in my life possibly. I, I would honestly I I agree with you. What I thought was happening so he held his hand out and sometimes you see that thing where a referee holds his hand out and you can see the referee thinking, this is probably a penalty try, but I kind of don't want to blow up for the advantage. So I'll yeah, let this play yeah. out. And then by the time they've actually had a couple of phases, the referee goes back and you think like, if the ref- if scruff just asked for it, he probably would have gone under the sticks, but now yeah. he's actually had a minute to calm down. He's not going to give the penalty try. And that's what I thought was happening.
0: Mm. So France, with the ball collapsed and being told to use it, you know, the ball was there at the back playable as i said with the clearest clearest collapse scrum and penalty try you'll ever yeah, see in your life cynical uh,
1: the, uh, and as i say correct for the all blacks to do because they were going over yeah 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 they, there's no yellow cards at this it. point like, correct thing to do
0: yeah would have gone back to 6-9 which is a very different game to the 9-0 event you go in at time with yep yeah. so they collapse a the scrum the ball is at number eight's feet and Bezier panics a pass away cuz Kirk gets right up in his face like does a really good job of yeah. just like hurrying the pass so it's kind of in the air and it takes a second out of Manel before he can play it on and they go down yep. the line Sella has a moment where you think like oh is he gonna and he kind of hands it on to our friend Patrice Lazy's gay and i screamed don't don't do this because I knew the referee would not come back for advantage because he hadn't earlier in the game. He called advantage over like when they made about a metre and went into touch. Like, I knew, I knew this would be the chance gone because he pins his ears, he is like 15 metres in on around the 15 metre line and he starts sprinting for the corner about yeah. 10 metres out. He's mostly running side Opposite sideways. John
1: Kerwin, I will add. Yeah.
0: And it's an uphill climb. screaming, don't do this, Lajuskaya. Do do not yeah. do not do this, but he goes for it, and he blows it.
1: He gets dragged into touch by a bigger and quicker man. Yeah, and yeah, he gets. That to, like, was kind of the way it was around. always going to go.
0: Yeah, and he he never really stood a chance. And like it would have say, been one of the all-time great finishes if he pulled it off.
1: Yes, the referee then just says, "Oh yeah, that's advantage over." They'd had like three yeah. passes. It was a penalty advantage on a cynical thing. They'd go gone out pr- pretty much in line with where the penalty was given. And he decides that's not a su- sufficient advantage, which is for the ludicrous. A cynical penalty try, effect, Yeah, you'll see. Yeah. That is genuinely absurd that he didn't give that as a penalty, go back for the advantage or anything, let alone give it as a penalty try. <laughs>
0: And I know Advantage was quite a new rule at this point. Like it was kind of a controversial yeah. thing. Like it had been played in some countries, but not others. Mm. There's an infamous story that's worth looking up. And I don't remember it in detail over the top of my head. But the Advantage law was basically introduced because it was a law in England, but not Scotland. And it was the last play of a Six Nations game or Five Nations game as it was at the time. And because each Nation had different laws and rules and they kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. compiled them into international laws and generally the international game was played with English laws. But there was some disagreement here. And basically, right, Scotland were like a metre out from the line and they knocked the ball on. England regathered it and scored. Scotland, because they didn't play advantage, they just stopped whenever there was a knock on or a penalty or anything. Mm Mm-hmm. They started appealing, like, no, we knocked it on. It should be a scrum to England. You need to, be, you need to award a scrum against us, which is the only time you'll ever see that, the team cheering to not have the ball. Because yeah. if that was given and there was no advantage played, they would have won the game. Or they would yeah. have been the last play and England would have had the ball, but they could have defended it and they could have, you know... Sure, sure. Thing. But instead England was saying, no, we're playing with advantage. You know, surely we're playing with advantage laws. And they had not arranged this beforehand whether or not they play advantage. And it's the only time it came up in the game was the last play. And in the end, the referee gave the try. Because he was kind of like, well, what else can I do? Yeah, that
1: yeah. That
0: kicked off like them establishing advantage law. And I think that was probably about 20 years before this. But it still wasn't in the level it was now. Like mm. There wasn't a unified idea or yeah like it, a
1: standardized no? yeah
0: yeah and i also think it varied greatly between hemispheres as well and we see that in the refereeing yes. here as well because yeah. there wasn't like super rugby coverage on sky sports at this time you know no like, this exactly was the first exactly. tournament broadcast internationally this was the first time you could yeah. really see new zealand playing australia and so on in this mm. era in the uk or in yeah France. and um, you could establish so them styles australia of playing
1: and reffing, and reffing yeah
0: exactly like it's it's very different and you're far more able to to mm. kind of get a global feel for the game nowadays yeah and like if we want to go other, and watch know? the georgian league we can now right mm. whereas you couldn't watch a test match between the two best teams in the world back in 87 from the 100 yeah hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot
1: Yep. Then, so just to, to carry on, mm. there's a point where France on the counter-attack go to feed the ball into Canberra's hands and Blanco releases the ball. Craig Green does what is a very obvious deliberate knock-on. Sends yes. the ball absolutely miles. I don't know to what extent this was an accepted law at this point, given everything we've just said. But yeah, yeah, yeah. he sends the ball flying, like sort of in the tackle, And it's one of those where the ball is released. It's going to go pretty much completely laterally. But it ends up flying about 20 metres behind Blanco's back because of the ball being slapped so far. And Earl Curtin on the commentary says, oh, I don't think that was a knock-on. I think that's just a really poor pass by Blanco. It's like, no! (laughs) She's thrown it 20 metres behind the man. Because that happens without somebody changing the trajectory of it massively. Like, people have never passed a rugby ball
0: before can throw more accurately mm. than that yeah never mind one of the all-time greats yeah craig green would be very much in the sim bin nowadays but that yeah. was not really a thing that seemed to be being played exactly. back then yeah. which is fair enough fair which enough is fine. like it was given as a knock-on but i wasn't i wasn't expecting it to i was expecting them to play on yeah yeah so i was me half too. expecting that to be like an all black like at least three
1: points down the end of the fifth. yeah genuinely i was thinking like oh no he's about to score here that's gonna get given this is gonna be bullshit but no yeah. at least they had the scrum given you know there's then a point where, so France get a turnover, and Bebezie sends this massive kick downfield. Mm. And Craig Green, cool as you like under pressure, one-handed swoops down and scoops the ball up to Gallagher, who yeah. then clears the ball. And it's like, oh, that's really nice. Like, that's a scrum-off skill, scooping the ball at one hand, feeding it up. Mm. But very nice bit of skill by Craig Green. Great time to flex it in the World Cup final under pressure. Okay, 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 okay. But here's the thing, right?
0: You are missing one of my favorite parts of the game right the moment for me that pascal ondars became a legend oh yes became an oh. absolute hero yeah i know i i'm listening so there is a moment where new zealand have a penalty given to them they are awarded mm. the penalty at the breakdown for something or other that happened yeah it just it just goes on and pascal ondars for no reason whatsoever, kicks an All Black in the face.
1: Yeah. It's, it's great because there was briefly the camera was on him and they start talking about, oh, this is Pascal Andar. He's never lost a test match before. And I thought, oh, okay. Yeah. That's 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 big news. 10 and out of 10. S- suddenly, as the camera is on him, you see him kicking Alan Wetted in the head. And it's just like, oh, okay. But he's so casual about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
0: my favourite thing about him, that he does this... Tw- there are two points in the game where he kicks an all-black forward in the head. <laughs> 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 it's great because... <laughs> and in both of them, he is looking completely off, and he is doing something else. And none of his body language is saying, I'm about to kick a man in the head. Yeah, he doesn't look he angry whatsoever. He just does whatsoever. it. no. Yeah.
1: He just was like, it would it would be fine if I kicked an all-black in the head right now. And the first time, he gets a dressing down from the referee and gets told, don't do it again. And he does it again. <laughs> that really specific thing he's told not to do. And the second time, the referee calls him over and is like, mate, you just kicked someone in the head for the second
0: time. Like, first time right in front of piss. me, this time right in front of the, the touch judge. And he goes, I'm sorry. Mm. And the referee goes... Okay, fair enough. I just let (laughs) him play on. (laughs) He's just... He's a hero. And I know maybe we shouldn't celebrate dirty play, right? But there's something about the blasé balls of the guy to just repeatedly kick players in the head and not care? And just get
1: away with it and not care if he's caught? I just... I love the sheer balls of the guy. Also, as well as him... There's a point where Daniel DeBronka kicks someone in the armpit. (laughs) Which is so hilariously random because it's just a not very vulnerable part of the body to kick. And it's so, again, it's so unangry, his kick. It's like, it's not like it's at all provoked. It's like they pushed Sean Fitzpatrick into touch and then Daniel Mm. DeBronca just gets up and goes, you know what this guy needs? He needs a kick in the armpit. And gets penalised for it. And he's just they're like, well, yeah, you're the captive. What, like, what do you want your team to do now if you're going around kicking men in the armpits? Daniel DeBronka was just so randomly wound up all game that I kind yeah. of enjoyed it. Like he was just being an asshole for the whole second half because he hated the fact he was losing, which is fair enough. Hot on your sleeve and that. But it was very funny, like the shit he was getting himself into for the second half
0: yeah 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 my, so my, I want to add another thing on the Pascal on darts yeah thing, yeah right? what like two points right one Jason Leonard said Pascal on darts was the best the toughest and the hardest prop I ever played against which high praise yeah I can see that very high I praise. see that yeah. yeah he was also named in the, as number two on a list of the most frightening French players to ever play the game
1: who's number one I Chabat. don't know
0: who number one was I don't know but pff, yeah you know not bad not a bad place to be and that was very much what he was remembered for. He went on to play until the '91 World Cup, where he was age 35. Then retired and opened a restaurant in Birritz.
1: Oh, nice! Good for him. Which
0: we're we're gonna have to go to at the World yeah, Cup, surely. We've got to go to Pascal and Dart's restaurant. See if we get. But yeah, the he was yeah notoriously incredibly incredibly hard man. Yeah, he seems nuts. But the thing I love about this, right, both penalties he gives away for kicking a man in the head. Grant Fox misses and there yes. is only two misses of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's... he
1: goes completely unpunished for kicking two All Blacks in the head. It's brilliant. Also, the first time he does it, when Grant Fox signals for goal, the crowd boo. It's like the World Cup yeah. final. He just wants points. They maybe knew he was going to miss. Was the and issue. it'll put him... It put them 12 nil up which mm. is a pretty sizable lead especially Bloody in the six points for try days yeah. yeah also can we address the blanco filth that occurs straight after this missed penalty oh it's please phenomenal. Do. please do he ushers to the sideline like signals the ball boy like i need a ball cuz i need to send this this kick off flying no so
0: so, so before that okay yeah 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 so <laughs> great situation that i love mm. where the the ball boys send on two balls and both the players it's the two halfbacks who
1: have the balls both then kick it off <laughs> to use the other one. I didn't notice that. That's fantastic. Yeah, then Blanco signals the saddle. Like, give me a ball, give me a ball. The ball boy throws him a really shit pass that he picks up <laughs> yeah. around his ankles. And again, while he's down there, he thinks, I might as well go here and just yeah, drop the ball. He does this thing
0: where he kind of, he's like, he turns his body as though he's about to pass it to Metnail. Yeah. To, to kick off.
1: Yeah. And then they say, while he's down there around his ankles. Just kicks it off just, to himself. Yeah. <gasps> It's glorious. And then he, he makes a break off the back of that. And yeah. they go sort of half the length of the, fi- the field between draws, him and Cambo and Bolo. Draws his man, gives it to Cambo
0: who then sticks it on the toe, oh. puts it into the 22. And John Gallagher is under enormous pressure. Mm. And you think, like, best case scenario is he slices the kick here. Yeah. You know? Like, he's probably getting caught in zone 22 and he's under Definitely. enormous pressure with the French team, like, rushing forward onto them. But he gets in an unbelievable he kick. He does. Yeah. Like, One of the best clearance kicks of the tournament somehow gets them up to halfway, saves the entire situation from what looked really, really dangerous from a moment of absolute genius
1: by Serge Blanco moments earlier. (laughs) Straight away, Blanco is down, injured. And realistically, it's what would happen if we all played against the All Blacks. We would be blowing after one run you know one defensive set or whatever and he just needs to lie down and there's the maggots coming up to him saying like all right what have you hurt and you can see him making it up like he just needs (laughs) needs a breather and you know what well done to your king fair play like if if any of us smoked as much as serge blanco to get through any rugby game is impressive let alone against the all blacks in the world cup final good on you
0: well, Leslie then recovers that ball mm. and plays on a bit. Yeah, They spread it out to Camembert Barrow on the other wing, who has a bit of a chance but falls over.
1: Yeah, the sniper and gets him. Yeah, you know what? He's still outplayed John Kerwin, so who yeah, cares? Yeah, damn right he has. You also say that because there's a point where they spread it back to the other wing, and Leslie absolutely skins Kerwin on the outside yes. of the pitch. Yes! he yeah, runs yeah, he yeah, runs yeah, outside the touchline yeah and then he's like oh mate i've just done Kerwin," and then he just carries on running like i like to beat the it's football it's a proper Wait, like
0: touch on flags up marcus smithy like like massive goose step mm. hitch kick really round theatrical. him theatrical get on the outside doesn't realize he stepped over the touchline
1: yeah. and he's like a good three meters over good. the touchline like he runs yeah. on the outside of the pitch then back in like oh mate no one's noticed that did anyone just see that i've just beaten john Kerwin. i'm amazing and then just, oh, I just saw that. That's the one person I needed to not say that. We also have
0: a beautiful kick by Denis Chavez, mm. right? And I want to take a moment to talk about Denis Chavez. Okay. I don't know if you've also followed up and got anything on Denis Chavez.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a piece yeah. of information I learned from him in the commentary in this game. Yes. So Denis
0: Chavez, right, went into this, this, this tournament like Glenn Ennis, An aspiring actor.
1: Yes, he wants to be a movie star and he hoped that winning the Rugby World Cup would help open up some opportunities in the world of acting for him. he, yes,
0: very much hoped that if he could get a big moment in the final, that would be his gateway into the movies.
1: Like a viral clip or something.
0: Basically, yeah, he was hoping, like, if he scored the winning try or he, like, gave an important pass or something, he could become a hero in France. I see. And therefore, that would open doors. Yeah. And that was kind of his game plan. (laughs) And you know
1: what? I hope he in said a way, this on, on match day in that vulnerable moment.
0: In that, yeah. Like, this was what he was like. He was like, I'm going to be a movie star. Yeah. Guys. Like, Jean-Luc Godard is going to watch this game and pull me out personally. When bloody Eric Shomps working for Eric Roma, You know, like, he's going to put me in his films as well. But, right, in some ways, this World Cup did work for him. Okay. Because Denis Chavez went on to, 20 years later direct a documentary they got a cinema release about the first world cup
1: and that's released... what that was
0: i didn't realize yeah.
1: he di- directed it that's he directed that's a documentary in the tournament that
0: came out during the 2007 tournament one day we should get to that yeah i did have a brief look i i couldn't find it somewhere online but i want to have a be- a deeper look later
1: because yeah. i only came across this like shortly before we started doing the podcast look it's that and the kick about stephen donald in 2011 yeah. They're the two films about the lore of this podcast that we need to get to. But, like, also, he didn't exactly have, like, a glistening career
0: as an actor, but he did get some work, okay. like, later off this World Cup.
1: Yeah, like he... yeah, I hadn't so heard of, of any stuff this... as well in French, as it happens. Yeah,
0: well, about three years after this World Cup, like, he starts getting work, he starts getting stuff, because he kind of, like, his rugby career kind of becomes less of the primary focus, I guess. Uh, after this. He continues playing for mm. France until nineteen ninety-one. But it is around nineteen ninety that he starts getting acting work and he kinda goes, Well I'll play to the World Cup and then I'll see if I can do this full time. Yeah. And he kinda calls it. He goes on to play another couple of games for the barbars <laughs> over the next few years where he basically like plays a bit for Stad and plays a bit for the Barbars but like is mostly focused on trying to build his acting career at Dans the Parry And like and he, mm. he has some you know he does a film with Isabella Rossellini. He does a film with Vincent Landon who's like Pretty well known, like French and Italian actors. Like he does, you know, he has a he has a solid career. Through to his kind of big break, he produces a film called Druids in two thousand and one, which stars Christophe Lambert and Max von Sydow, and is apparently was a fairly, reasonably big hit. Which he's in that was his biggest role, his biggest kind oh, okay. of like highest grossing movie. He kind of you know did all right in that, but that movie marked kind of a shift towards him focusing on producing instead of acting, and he is now a producer who also works as a rugby pundit in France, which is probably where he, oh, nice. he pays the bills. Yeah.
1: but It's he's a strange a crossover, but then. you take it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's done all right. However, right, I want to read you a bit of his punditry and why perhaps he should be focusing on the producing instead.
1: Okay. Okay. okay.
0: What is your opinion of Thomas Ramos and whether he should
1: be in prison? <laughs> I think he is filthy in every possible sense of the word thomas ramos and yes i think that there are several things he does in his own 22 which i would say are punishable by imprisonment
0: yes i think i think he should be locked up thomas ramos For through the legs i love to watch on his him own five meter line without knowing if there's anyone there completely blind Yep. Yeah. do do not do that that tap he did against wasps last year do not do that you know,
1: Thomas no, no, Ramos. Nothing he's... is recommended that you try it at home that he does.
0: I think I once said something like he he seems like he's more focused on daydreaming about the try he's about to score than catching a high yes. ball. You know? Yeah. And that kinda sums him up. Like he's an incredibly yeah. talented player, but he's not trustworthy whatsoever. I, I love say.
1: him. I'd hate
0: him if he was on my team. Absolutely. Denny Charvet this is his comments on Thomas Ramos recently. About two months ago. Mm-hmm. This guy, Ramos, never makes a mistake. He <laughs> is impeccable, imperial even. He is effective every time. He's maybe the most trustworthy player in France. Fuck You off. have to win to lose. You have to win France to lose. France is the, in the country Roman Untamat lives in. <laughs> yep. By scoring a try at the end of the match, every time he passes at the opening, meaning let fly half, he is mm. excellent. The guy exudes ease. Everything comes to him so cleanly, so easily, so well. I just trust him immensely. I think this boy deserves more attention, more respect. Last year, he was already in very good shape. And last year, and kicking, kicking. He's amazing. Look at his kicking. That is what...
1: Thomas Ramos... Denis Chavez. Thomas Ramos is a properly world-class talent. I would say a lot of brilliant things about him but all the complete opposite of what Denis Chavez says there I think he is a complete maverick he is mental and that is why he is such a brilliant rugby player because he's so unpredictable he is not trustworthy in the slightest which Chavez says three times maybe the most trustworthy player in France he's been paid off for that thanks Denis Charvet. I Thank don't you, know what's Chavez. going on there. Yeah, yeah. He, Good luck with Denis your film Charvet, Thomas Ramos, season, yeah, producing. really
0: wants him to produce a movie about about him. He's daydreaming yeah. about it already. Yeah. So, yeah. We've got know, to half time, uh, I would uh, say. He also... No, Denis Chavez, oh. One one more fact about him, right? His last role From. as an actor before retiring was in 2013 in a film called Viva La France, where he played a drunk, angry rugby fan. Oh. Which is quite meta, in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah. The role is listed in the credits as rugbyman. i'm sure he did really really well on that role
0: yeah i'm sure he absolutely nailed it i would hope like he probably he probably should have big moment like the final
1: (laughs) he probably should have cast his mate daniel de to play that role but hey that's fine i can't blame for himself so though right you may have missed this he's also written a novel no
0: He wrote a novel. I can't find out what it's called. Or I did, but I lost it. And I can't find it again. It was a book about a sports person who retires and really struggles to adapt to normal life because they're so used to the kind of like people cheering and chanting and sharing their names and loving them. And he talked about how hard that was. And so he wrote a book about it. Fair enough. It somehow got published.
1: So maybe it's good. I thought you were going to say a sports person who retires and struggles to become an actor. I was going to say. (laughs) That appeals appeals to a lot of people. And not Glenn Ennis. It's
0: about dealing with that kind of like come down after you've, you know, you've been yeah, involved. That and the article I like read about his concept book, for a book and talking about him was almost entirely about how good looking he was. It <laughs> mentions over and over again in the opening paragraph, he is the most handsome man alive. They call him about three times rugby's 007 because he's so handsome and suave.
1: I think he wrote you know it what? about his mate Patrice Le bon.
0: I was going to say between him and Patrice Le Bon a man who is so handsome he isn't real that you really feel like there's a lot of a lot of like depth in the handsome centers charts in France. Mm, here.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I I think that you know you you do wonder who he possibly could have based that on, but then again Dave Cherry hadn't started playing yet, so I don't <laughs> know. There's a man comfortable in his baldness, Dave Cherry.
0: Absolutely bloody exactly.
1: So we hit half time. Where were we? Yes. Uh, second half starts I'm aware we're two hours into this podcast but it is also the final <laughs> so, so we are okay Sergio Blanco puts up a really good bomb the start the half uh, Taylor drops mm. it and you think oh they could score here and once again they just can't get anything out of their good attacks France it's really it, you yeah. know it's it's difficult there's a point where Blanco does this lovely pickup and passes it straight on to and Barrow who chips over you think oh we could score here but again Kerwin just beats him to it and it's like they can't yeah. catch a break
0: there is one attack. I kind of want to mention, I've just realised, I thought it was at the start of the second half. It's actually the end of the first half. Sure. But I think it's actually really, really interesting. Firstly, right, it happens because Kirk puts for a beautiful kick, like really, mm. really nice ball Yes. Kick. Like you say, cannot cover it. And Blanco absolutely bollocks him for it. And like, even when the line-out is happening and they're trying to throw it in... Blanco is still like saying things and turning and facing like he's going to like Bolligan for not having taken it on the full, not having covered the kick and dealt with it. But instead, yeah, it puts them under enormous pressure, right? And this leads us into, this is the attack where I think it's cleanest that you can see something the All Blacks were doing in this World Cup mm. that we haven't been able to talk about and I haven't really got into, even though it's something I, I read about and heard about and was looking for examples. And this is the cleanest example you can find, partly because I'm looking at it in a far more analytical way. But also, I think it just happens. And it happens because France have the highest quality defensive come up against in this tournament by yes. some distance. Because, you know, the semi-final, the second most intense game they played, was against bloody Wales. But... New Zealand were running a precursor to the one 3 one and pod systems. Right. They were running like a really, really rudimentary version of this where they split their forwards into two groups of four. Oh, wow. And so four players would focus on rucks on one side and four on the next. That's extremely advanced. Separately. Yeah. And we have like, there's like four points in this game where Sean Fitzpatrick gets the ball on the wing. Mm. And that's because he was part of the system of having two separate groups I, of forwards. I did notice
1: that he got carried into touch twice. Because yeah. you have stood on the wing.
0: Yeah. So it basically, they accidentally invented the edge forward there. That wasn't a deliberate part of the group. Yeah. the thing. But they were splitting their forwards into two groups. They would usually four and That's four, but crazy. something would be like five and three or something. So this was like an early version of that. And you can quite clearly see it if you're looking for it in mm. the, the end of the first half. And also, Grant Fox does a thing where he drops off a pass to Warwick Taylor taking a short ball. And he loops around to attack the next phase. Like clearly looking for that. Which is really ahead of his time yeah. as well. Yeah. Like, he's clearly looking at that before he's dropped the first pass mm. off. Whereas at the time, it was just like you attacked what was in front of you yeah. rather than thinking ahead. And so you see two moments of the Orbit's being hugely ahead of their time in that last play. And it doesn't lead to anything they get put into touch. But like, you can really clearly see four of the cool, forwards yeah. clear out and they end up going blindside instead of the other side Fox was looking for. But then those forwards carry and you have the four forwards there then to clear out and hit each other. But you also have a point in the second half where France run a tip line. There's someone running off Eric Champ. mm so we do have a few moments of just, like, things that will become innovations in 20 years' yeah. time, just naturally occurring. Just because or occurring these are like the best versions. teams in
1: the world, they can see the space yeah. and something, you know, naturally, which eventually becomes planned, right? Yeah. But that four and four thing and, like, splitting their forwards up was a tactic yeah. in New Zealand. Yeah, that's crazy. Like that was crazy. something they talked through.
0: Like, real early predecessor Insane. to the core system and the 1331 yeah. and so they on. Yeah, they run a 4-4. Happening. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 30 years early.
0: Wow. 30 years earlier.
1: And, like, that's a legitimate structure to play these days, you know? It's not very good compared yeah, yeah, to, yeah. you know, 1-3-1, one, one, 2 4 two, whatever. Sure. But it literally, it is one. And it makes sense yeah, at this yeah. kind of level where the forwards have a lot of running to do. And, as I say, in the amateur days, they won't be as fit. Mm. Running a 4-4 four, four is a better way of conserving your energy. That's fantastic that that's run. That's a long, long time. Georgia
0: were running that this year, you
1: know? yeah.
0: Georgia ran a 4-4 this year.
1: Yeah. I've seen Ireland in the last year running, uh, and South Africa as well, running a 3-3-3 with the inside centre yeah, being yeah. the ninth forward. It's not so insanely far-fetched.
0: No. Like, it's it's a crazy
1: thing to be happening this far out. Yeah. And it just shows how good this New Zealand team were. Definitely. Definitely. That's brilliant. That's a fantastic spot. Well done.
0: Thank you. I should do. A, I should make a job out of this.
1: Yeah, you should. Cam and Burrow gets a penalty.
0: It becomes 9-3,
1: and it's like, oh, finally, they're on the board. And the rain starts tipping down at that point, and you start to think, like, oh, is this going to suit France? But then you remember, like, no, because Grant Fox is kicking really well. So...
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, we also see a wide shot of the stadium, and we see that the first ever rugby World Cup final has been played in front of a rainbow. Which is cool. Which is kind of beautiful, and also the most that wardrobe has ever done for LGBT rights within rugby. <laughs> and I'm surprised they're not, I'd be really surprised if they don't bring that up unless, at some point. It's like, look, we once played in front of a rainbow. Unless
1: the B in that stands for bald.
0: Yes, they've done an awful lot of bald, Awful
1: lots of, for bald people.
0: You know what? Really proud of Maxime Lucu for being so upfront about
1: it. Absolutely. Grant Fox then hits back with a penalty like immediately afterwards because France's backs are all offside at them all. And it's just like, oh, yeah. what's the point in this? Twelve three at that and point. And like the that penalty the
0: Fox's one is really easy, whereas Camabera Berra mm. like nails it on the angle on the twenty-two meter line, like yeah. right on the touchline, like really difficult kick, lot of tension on it. They give the anecdote about his hair. You see the confidence flowing through his body. And then immediately New Zealand get a really easy shot in reply.
1: Yeah. Very, very but Yeah, By that point the rain is tipping it down.
0: Mm. And the rain doesn't last that long, but like it is heavy for the ten minutes it's there.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not even that, probably five minutes is there.
1: Also, by the way, I forgot to mention earlier, you know what on the return of the roaster when he comes back on the field. Yes. The yep. Keith Quinn says, Well, it might be Coco Van on the menu tonight. That's upsetting. That's what he says. They wouldn't
0: say we're gonna eat dog, are they? No,
1: exactly. And it doesn't mean cock in the back of a van. There's a joke. Thank you. Grant Fox gets another penalty. I didn't even note down what it's for, but 15-3. Oh, no, that's for kicking Tell him what, in the head. right?
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Tell you what, right? There's a moment in which France kicked long. Uh, actually, no, I think it might be a misdrop goal. I... I've not jotted that bit. Sure. There. But, right, Matt Gallagher's dad <laughs> takes the ball just before the twen- the, the goal line. Dots it down, carries it back. Should have given a scrum five to France. Mm. The twenty-two is given.
1: Controversial that was.
0: Yeah, bloody TMO needs to step in yeah. here. That would have been. TMO I've seen TMO, TMO these reviews days. that were further back. That yeah, but they could do it now. Yeah, I've seen. I've seen referees going to the TMO for things that happened further back than thirty-five years.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, they could do it now. <laughs> it's valid. Do you think though this referee would still be checking it today? So. You know, yeah, kind of gratefully just go on with it, <laughs> decision unplayable <laughs> Let's have a scrum
0: there's then the all blacks get downfield and they one of those things that happened here right well, they just took it out the wing who does a chip kick and that's good attack, yes, and you know what it was, yeah, yeah, uh, but Green puts through a kick, and Blanco is nowhere to be seen has mm. to absolutely pelt it across and then pelt the ball into touch on that oh half yeah volley. yeah,
1: yeah, he sends it fucking miles yeah it's great
0: it's gone to join his imaginary ball
1: i was gonna say it landed on the other side of the rainbow
0: <laughs> hit the leprechaun on the way yeah
1: there's a point where kirk puts Sorry. up a brilliant bomb for blanco as well and Kerwin just piles on mm. the pressure and just sends him into touch and again like that's when kirk really starts growing into the game as well
0: yeah michael jones had to try disallowed from the resulting line out mm. for a knock-on where it could have been a second try in the world cup final but, alas, not to be. Would that have made him the only man to score two tries in a World Cup final? Yes, it would. Yeah, it oh, would. Has no one ever done that? No, no one's ever done that. That's mad. Yeah. Great stat. Yeah. Would have been, but the try was disallowed. allowed. Yeah. So I suppose he's the only player to cross the ball, does the try
1: line with the ball twice in the World Cup final. Mm, I guess so. I guess so. But, there is, however, a try not long afterwards. So, the All Blacks attack blind. They're on sort of the 22 metre line. And then, Grant Fox does this... Thing where he sort of pirouettes and pops the ball back inside to Jones. And it looks shit, if not for the fact that you know it's premeditated by Fox. And he knows that yeah, space yeah. is going to open up. And it looks like shit play. But actually, he just has manipulated the French defence without even really trying. And yeah, yes. Jones yeah. has a little run very good. up against Blanco. And managed to get an offload back inside. And it is David Kirk, the skipper, who, as I say, has just grown into the game like put up a, a few like really good kicks in a row and has a really strong finish to tarry a man over the try line with him and the commentators make the point of like that's a proper like captain's finish and i really agree with that like it's like a, a leader standing up at the right moment and yeah it's, it's it's good by all three men involved so i listened to david
0: kirk talking about this try mm-hmm. talking about the moment and saying the moment the most people talk to him about is the lifting of the world cup but the moment he remembers best in the game is his try yeah which is you know very very fair
1: also it's the point where you know they're going to win it
0: yeah 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 yeah. and because it is the moment where they finally break down that French defence has been on top of them for so long you know like the first try is kind of a fluke it's a lucky bounce but the rest of the game they've been like hounding them like there's a moment not long before this where they get it out to Buck Shelford on the wing who looks like he's got a good chance it looks like Mm. he can finish this and out of nowhere Eric Schomp turns up With his curly hair and no muscles. (laughs) And just belts him into Mm, touch. Yeah, Like it's a brilliant try saving tackle. And you just have like these moments of individual French players stopping them. That clear like emotional energy they had Mm. powering them through here. And it's the moment where suddenly they can't keep up. Yes. And when Kirk talked about this try. He said there was one thing we did differently in the lead up to this right. Which is normally they positioned their two tallest men in the middle. And they put Michael Jones at the tail. And Michael Jones was basically, as Kirk referred to, he had an incredible spring on him. Like, he could jump mm-hmm. like, from standing start, and start incredibly high and kind of bat the ball back. And they decided, what we're going to do is we're going to swap Jones into the middle. And we're going to move Weston out to the tail. And we're going to throw it to Jones. And France basically weren't expecting this. They thought, oh, they're putting it there because they're going to throw it to the tail
1: because mm-hmm.
0: they put the tallest guy at the tail and that makes sense. But instead, they threw it to Jones in the middle who then does this like out leaps the guy, knocks it down. France is slightly slow to react because they're looking for the ball at the tail. Yeah. And it also means that the ball comes down into Kirk's hands really smoothly and it means he can throw the pass very quickly. And even though it's quite a loopy pass eventually that he throws because he tries to get away as quickly as possible, it buys him an extra second. I see. And it also allows the overall Blacks, including Jones himself, especially Jones himself, to work around Mm -hmm. and to get into position to clear out the next ruck. And basically, Kirk says, it was like us changing that line out (laughs) from what we've been doing all game and what we're doing basically all World Cup is what scored us that try. Is that we did a different line out call and it allowed us to get the forwards into position better because we were using a jumper rather than height. And it meant France had no chance of contesting because we were looking at who can jump the highest rather than who is the tallest. That's really interesting as well.
1: (laughs) Great reference. That's a really interesting point because you again wonder if that's the precursor to Eddie Jones inventing the two phase move like 10 years later.
0: Yeah. 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 And it wasn't
1: like having a knock on effect the way you set up the line out.
0: Yeah. 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 Like it wasn't, they weren't going, we need them to clear out the rock. It was just like, we want them out of there to, to play away quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And it meant that then when Taylor takes into contact, they can recycle. And if Mm. we look at every good attack in this tournament, or if we look at every good attack in this final, all of them seem to be coming. Like, basically every break in the game is coming from second or third phase. Every chance is coming from recycling Mm. the ball. And there's a point not long after this as well, where France pile like five forwards in and they almost turn the ball over. But Kirk managed to just about get it away in time, just before the ball is lost. And it leads to a very clean break because they all the resources in, and it's not of thing mm. teams are not co to do nowadays but like it would become a real consideration in about 10 years time and you're seeing yeah. the the start of it here of like the tries that come and the the breaks that are made are coming off multi-phase moves because defenses were defense in this final was good and yes. so they needed more effort and more to break them down which mm. is obviously the the absolute backbone of rugby nowadays but at this point it was just beginning to the just the seed of that was starting and it allows mm. yeah Cook plays it over in the blind side Fox plays it and then yeah as you say plays the inside ball and Jones flips it back inside having been back on the Yeah at that point you have broken field there. Yeah 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 It's and you've got as well if you watch it back four French players four French forwards really hair it across outside once they see mm. Fox going out and Jones inside and it means no yeah. one is watching for the support line by David Kirk, which is excellent.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a brilliant support line. As, I like the fact that you've mentioned that, like, that's the iconic moment for him. Because you can really tell, yeah. like, as soon as he's gone over, he has, like, a moment of just, like, that was good. Like, we, we can yeah. win this now. We're going to win the World Cup. And, like, straight from the kickoff, Kirk's straight off again and has, like, a great sprint yeah. down the wing after one phase, literally, off the kickoff. He has a great sprint down the wing. Qu- quick ball recycled. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: condom goes for him and he literally like ducks under him. It's great.
1: Yeah. And the ball's recycled super fast as he is mm. tackled.
0: Well, is the thing both we were saying to Paul the other week and mm. that I've mentioned on previous episodes that France are now, the modern France team are now doing again where yes. you can replace the thing that happened with Fiji in the sevens as well. But you can replace a phase by just popping the ball off the ground. You know, just like hanging yeah, it in Yeah, exactly. the And they do that yeah. to Buck Shelford, as you say. Well, who Kirk picks?
1: Does. Yeah, and he picks the ball up off his toes and delivers a gorgeous pass to John Kerwin.
0: Yeah, and absolutely you think, steaming
1: like, onto the ball at full pace. They've contained Kerwin all game, and yeah. you think like you've really feel about that played him. Yeah, he absolutely has, but they've they've done such a good job of keeping Kerwin quiet. And the fact that he, because he scores here, he goes on the outside and he dives in the corner, he bursts the corner flag once more. Yeah. Jamie Lyle would love it. But (laughs) that happens and you think, wow, the fact that they've managed, they've done such a good job of containing Kerwin and he still pops up and scores one in the final. Like this All Blacks team are untouchable at this stage.
0: It's the, the Justin Marshall screaming, John Kerwin, go Johnny. Yeah, That's the World (laughs) Cup. You know, yeah. it's that moment. It's that moment happening all over. <laughs> the <Yeah>. Go Johnny! <laughs> yeah, and Kerwin finishing it. Brilliant finish. And I'm so glad, as well as obviously David Kirk is kind of the, the focal point in this reinvented New Zealand team. He's kind of head boy aura getting a try. But mm. I love that John Kerwin is the star player in this tournament. Got yes. himself a try.
1: Absolutely. It's a shame Alan Wetton didn't get one. She scored in every other game.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Ruined his record. Yeah. Where's the Felipe Contepomi record from the Heineken Cup now? Right? Wetton did play very well. <laughs> he did. And has he done did. all well. Yeah. I mean, we're getting fairly towards well, the business so, end of this match, I think, but
0: So Fox knocks over the conversion and they cut to the yes. crowd is all losing their mind apart from the one woman most in focus who looks very confused.
1: <laughs> I
0: didn't see this. Just very confused, very confused woman.
1: I wasn't sure if you were going to follow up on that. No, no, of course I'm not. Of course I'm not. Fox gets one more penalty and the All Blacks reach their final... Mate, so that penalty, can we talk about what it's for? Uh, I've forgotten. What was it? A punch that doesn't happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The referee sees a punch and they show on the replay and there is just nothing of the sort. There's
0: no punch. There's an arm that swings slightly, but doesn't connect with anyone or mm. get near anyone. And the referee goes like, that was a punch. I'm putting you on a final warning and penalising you.
1: Yeah. There was no punch. He points someone goes no like, be careful, punches. I'm watching you. Yeah. Like,
0: there have been punches in this World Cup the referees have seen and gone, less of that please, but not penalised.
1: <laughs> and he penalises a punch that doesn't even happen. He's making up for lost time, isn't he? He really is. He really, really is. So Fox brings up New Zealand's final points tally of twenty nine, and they gets twenty nine three. And there's a seagull invasion. A thousand seagulls come onto the pitch. <laughs> it's mad. It's mad.
0: This also follows like a beautiful 50-22 from Grant Fox, and these other penalties. Oh yeah yeah, 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 very, very yeah, yeah, that also happens. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's great. There's also a nice chance with John Kerwin, who then offloads to Fitzpatrick, who gets put into touch. You he, know, does, know, one of the, he does. He does. Yeah, kind of things. Yeah, and then bloody as he's lining up the kick, you see there's about four hundred seagulls on the pitch. Yeah, an all congregate the four,
1: halfway line, and it's like, hang yeah. on a second, why like did the schedule a, Yeah, why did they schedule a sk- seagull business meeting at Eden Park during the Rugby World Cup final? Could they not have thought about this a little bit more? Were they hoping the fox would scare them off? Yeah,
0: maybe, maybe, or the chicken. But like, I also have the word "seagull invasion" in all caps written in my. Yeah, names. okay, I'm really glad but the best for that bit, matching. Seagull invasion. There you yeah, are. Seagull the invasion. Best, block right. Caps. Is then, when Menzel comes to take the kick-off, which obviously he takes off the, the tears, as was tradition mm. at the time, he places the ball on the floor, and he goes to take the kick, and it hits a seagull!
1: <laughs> like, we get a seagull charge down! Like, a seagull charges down a kick in the World Cup final, where a chicken has already been on the pitch! <laughs> I'll tell you what, like, Fabio didn't get the ball when he was on. He was close to taking no. a kick-off, I'll give him that. And he got on the match because <laughs> he, he was excellent. Timothy did basically get the ball. This seagull, yeah. properly defensive animal.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like the sheer pressure he puts on, the line speed he gets up off the ground, you know. What's the amazing seagull stuff. called? Uh, I mean, the obvious name is Steven. Everyone does a Stephen Seagull joke. We're not doing that. His name's David. So another good name for a seagull is David. I was <laughs> So it's David the Seagull. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, just David in case he comes up in mind of the match. Just, we've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, we we've need got to clear we need these name. things up
1: because you never know. I know it's the World Cup but final. But there's so but... many of his mates. Like yeah. so
0: much subterfuge going on with that Seagull, man.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So France then kind of get the ball and fuck around in the New Zealand half. <laughs> Eric
0: Schomp makes great carry after great carry in this period. He does. He does. There's a point he boy carries he so catches... hard for the scariest man with no muscles.
1: Mm. He catches a high ball, and John Gallagher makes a World Cup final business decision and goes to absolutely floor the wrong man and gets decked. And it's not called for obstruction because Gallagher just runs in the wrong direction, and it's, it's great. Chomp just then has a run into somebody and is just not willing to be tackled. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. L'Oreal nearly also scores. Have-
0: yeah, this I don't get at all. So Laurier, yeah, like, as I say, almost scores, takes an offload, darts through, looks like, on darts through, mm. looks like he's mm. going to score, is kind of grabbed by the ankles and hoisted down a yard short. Yeah. And he could have reached out and scored. He doesn't. He said he goes to present it back to Babesier, who's running through. But it looks before like he, he it to can touch. do that, before he can do that, the referee calls a penalty for New Zealand. And the, the reason given is tackled ball. What? I don't know if he means double movement but that isn't a thing does he think he's playing rugby league and he's not allowed to play after he's been tackled did he tackle the
1: ball oh wait I maybe don't know. maybe it was the obstruction from two phases earlier that wasn't an I obstruction I don't think so I don't know yeah that's baffling
0: it's a tackle ball what's a tackle ball I have no idea what, I, mean, I went back and watched this over and over again and I can't see anything wrong with it the only argument you can make is double movement when he hasn't had a proper look at it but like is mm. just trying to present the ball back that is fine. Or offload it. And he could have reached out and scored, and he probably should have reached out and scored.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, you know,
0: yeah, I'm past my 20 years of... I've, I've Look, it's 20 <laughs> years on, I'm allowed to complain about the referee. Kiwis yep. can start complaining about that forward pass away in Barnes in five years' time. I bet you can't wait. <laughs> I, exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah, so Babesio scores, and it's bloody well. Well, hold
0: on, hold on. They they do a, they do a really nice move, a really good move before this from a penalty. They get shortly afterwards. Oh yeah, where they set up, they have all fifteen players in motion. It's great. They do a wall move. They tap yep. it, and then the other thirteen players all rush forward at the same time, running different lines. But the move they're actually running, right? If you ignore all of the pointless subterfuge, is past the twelve who hits the passes the thirteens face. <laughs> he just chucks it at his teammate's
1: face so basically like, they they thought give it to Charmé Philip Seller looking... would work while everyone's in their face Yeah, Denny Charvet thinks this is my big
0: moment this is the moment where I become a movie star I'm going to chuck it at our best player's face and if no one can see that then they'll look at me instead <laughs> just throws it plainly at Seller's face who doesn't knock it on, it comes off his face but it's given as a knock on, eventually France recover it and as you say, this leads yeah. eventually to the score.
1: You will say, though, like, if Charvet chucked that pass properly and Seller scored, and then he got roles in all the big movies, Charvet would have been pissed. So. He would have been. He really would have been. But yes, Bebezier scores. Very well deserved try for him and for France generally. Yeah. They kind of just drive it's... up a few times and break down the defence. Chant, of course. Yeah, mm. another drive. Then Meynell drives himself as Crash Ball 10, which is
0: lovely, of course. Of course he does. Yeah. So that's what he does, and somehow gets an offload away to Bebezier, who just goes, "All oh, right, there's there's no one, there's no defenders here." Scores under the post.
1: Yeah, does that sum it up? Yes, I, I would say it does. And Canberra Barrow knocks over the conversion. Full time whistle goes, and at which point, yeah,
0: and pandemonium begins. The twenty nine curtain says, "I've never seen the All Black show so much emotion at the end of a game," mm. and. The commentator says that Keith Quinn says he's never heard a noise so loud in any stadium he's ever been in to commentate mm. or watch as a fan. Eden Parker erupts. And that was the general take, yeah, around... And whole of New Zealand erupts, as everything we are saying earlier, about like the way they'd really connected with this nation over the course of this tournament. Yeah. And you just feel like New Zealand then
1: completely,
0: completely bursts. Mm,
1: yeah. And... It's really interesting because kind of for the minute or two after the final whistle goes, the All Blacks are leaping up and down. And it's weird because there's then a pitch invasion and the All Blacks want to celebrate together as much as there is the whole thing of togetherness with the nation. And there's Mm. this weird kind of like moment where it's just they're like, wait, what do we do? We just kind of want to celebrate here. (laughs) And they kind of have to run past some security guards and then keep bouncing up and down together. France don't seem too disheartened about losing because I think they knew it was no. a foregone conclusion a long time out, and they're actually quite proud of themselves as they should be. And New Zealand then get, as you say, like for the first few minutes after that happens, they they they're loving it, you know, and the crowd are absolutely going wild. I can't tell mm. if it's the way that this is edited because it's on the World Rugby official feed or what, yes. but it feels like the time between the final whistle going and them heading into the tunnel up there and David Kirk lifting the trophy. Goes like that. It's so quick. Oh, there's and a, a, have... there's a very clear cut. They cut. They yeah, cut okay. some time out. Yeah, yeah. I because don't know I have written down this, like,
0: pundits talking or whatever, but
1: okay, yeah. I have written down that the All Blacks look fairly happy about the fact they're about to lift yes. the rebellious Cup. But I think that's just because it's sunk like... in a little bit, and it's cut.
0: Keith Curtin says. <laughs> Keith Curtin, Earl Keith Curtin says Keith Curtin would be a great name. Uh, mm. That's my stripper name. So Earl Curtin says that yeah he's never seen the All Blacks show so much emotion and there is not that much emotion being shown they're no. all like yay uh, yeah, yeah they like, oh, oh, cool. head into that's the stands nice. mm. yeah because they don't they can't do the presentation on the pitch because there's a pitch inversion and just yeah. out there so they can't just bring the stuff and there's chickens nowadays.
1: there and all sorts yeah bloody
0: chickens so many seagulls chickens the whole lot like there's the chicken inside the Web Ellis Cup it's a nightmare. Probably six dogs. You know, there's just a whole fleet of them. They have to all go into the tunnel. They have to, like, walk upstairs, come round like into a different bit of the stadium, and then come out. Like, it's such a long period of them kind of walking around. There's, like, a Mm. lot of admin involved in getting up to take the trophy. But eventually they walk up. They're all kind of queued up there. They send David Kirk out to go and lift the trophy. And it is... The moment you see it, like, A, the, the cameras they're using for... David Kirk lifting the cup are clearly a far higher quality than the ones filming the match, (laughs) which I think adds to it. But seeing him lift the World Cup is just instantly iconic as anything. You know, it's just, it clicks and you kind of go, you can imagine watching that 1987 going, I can't wait to see this again. You know, I can't wait to see more of this. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and David Kirk obviously is beaming and he's delighted. He's the first ever Rugby World Cup winning captain. It's a really, really iconic moment where... The New yeah. Zealand public are all witnessing history. Delighted for David Kirk, first and foremost, that he's come in as captain and has done so brilliantly mm. and lifted the Web Ellis Cup. It's a fantastic moment. Yeah. He said his message at half
0: time was just do the work. That was the thing he just kept saying over and over again was do the work. It's before coaches can send messages on or say anything. Mm. And I think it does kinda in some ways sum that second half up. Like it is very like hashtag humble, hashtag group values or whatever. Yes. But there's something about the fact that like as he said, like I didn't want us to play with flair, I wanted us to do the work.
1: Yeah. And yeah.
0: you can kind of see there's something about that kind of like very down to earth nature in the team. Mm. that is embodied by david kirk and how delighted he looks to be lifting the trophy like it's not like a the roar of determination and pride that like martin johnson or yeah i was gonna say when like they lift the trophy like he is proud and excited and ecstatic and delighted yes
1: yeah but there's no real drama to the conclusion of it of him lifting the trophy is that i no. don't know if that's because the commentators are extremely laid back about like oh and there's david kirk yeah, who's lifting yeah. the trophy that's nice or because David Kirk is just generally quite a wholesome being, as it turns out. But yeah, there's no real drama. Kind of like, you're right, the Martin Johnson roar of emotion is kind of the most iconic. Or Sir Kalisi, I suppose. Mm. David Kirk is just very pleased to be there. And they ask him to say a few words afterwards. And it is the most polite post-match speech I have ever heard. Where it's he just says thanks. It's clearly written.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: It's clearly something he's written and practiced in the mirror beforehand as mm. well. Yeah, and he sort of says thanks to, as I say, the squad. He said thank you to France as well for being such a fantastic opposition, yes. which was very nice. Got a big
0: round of applause for that, for being a polite. Yeah,
1: boy. said thank you to the coaches. And then thank you to you, New Zealand. It would have been a lot harder without you, which is what I think... he says.
0: And he's beaming so broadly that you really, mm. you really believe that. Like, I've seen so many yeah. captains down the years say, like, thanks to the fans, whatever, and that's standard. David oh, Cook, yeah. I believe it more than ever. At that end there.
1: he loved it. He had a great and, time. Yeah, he's, and that's what rugby so hooligan's about. Interview. Having he a great time,
0: very cleanly. Yeah, no ums and ahs. Like, like a great actor, like Denis Charvet would one day go on to be <laughs> in exactly his great varied career in films such as viva la France, playing rugby hooligan. It's just very clean, very smooth. At no point does he thank the pigeon he saw outside his window this morning that he got to have a wank <laughs> exactly. over. Exactly. None of that. What a happens. humble man. What a humble
1: man. What a kind of great encapsulation of this all-black team. Exactly, exactly. And all-black teams to come, you know. Like, that's definitely foreshadowing them doing weird things of them passing suitcases in stupid ways (laughs) on the way into a hotel. Yeah, yeah. It all happens because of David Kirk
0: being so polite and nice. Do you think this all-black team is a hangover on modern teams? Instinctively, I want to say no, but I'm not really sure how to back that up. I don't think it is, but I think it is in the background of an awful lot. I think yeah. there's a lot of things about All Black Rugby that begin here.
1: Yeah, I guess so. The fact that they win the first World Cup, I suppose, is probably a thing of establishing dominance.
0: Yeah. But it's also, there's something in the kind of, like, the humble, down-to-earth nature that sits on it. There's yeah. something in, as you say, that being the best team. And there's something in having players like John Kerwin and Grant Fox sure. and Michael Jones. Yeah, who, who are, just are purely and dominant. Patrick, even. Yeah. Yeah. The, I think there's, as well as the the innovation, the smaller innovations that we talked about in terms of the the pod stuff Mm. and everything else, I think there is something interesting as a turning point in the All Blacks, which is very much is. Yes. And I think we're in an interesting place where they need that to happen in about five years' time. Like, not now, but they're going to need that to happen again soon because they're coming towards a kind of similar point to where they were at the early 80s at the minute
1: for the first time since then. It's quite fascinating, actually, because we've covered the first World Cup the All Blacks win, the second World Cup the All Blacks win, Mm. We've not covered the five World Cups in between. So it would be really interesting. Yes. Kind of the timeline of that and the growth, yeah. the, the ups and the downs of the All Blacks, the rise and the fall. So that that will be quite interesting as we kind of go on through the World Cups in the 90s and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of France, I don't think this has any precedent at all. I think France is no, just me neither. France.
1: Yeah, France. It's a very French-French team and we've had a lot of them since. Yeah, it's an important moment in all-black
0: rugby, genuinely. Mm. I think it's just a France moment in French rugby.
1: Yeah, I don't think they were too surprised that they lost the game. No. But that's not to say that they thought they were going to. I think they put up a genuine yeah, fight. Yeah. They were in brilliant all-tournament, and they were very much deserving finalists. Yes,
0: and I think it was a fantastic game to cap things off.
1: Yeah. Shall we
0: do very, very quick leaving parties for France and New Zealand? No. <laughs> okay no okay let's nominate a play of the tournament for either nation as we've done in keeping so uh, france okay. i think philip seller if i'm picking one gun to my head
1: yeah agreed philip seller easily he's just bloody world class
0: and new zealand it is grant fox or john Kerwin. and today i'm gonna say john Kerwin, but it could be grant fox i would say easily.
1: fox yeah
0: yeah we split the, split the difference there we split are the Grant. okay yeah so now Whoa. Dick of the man and day of the d- day <laughs> I feel like we did say, you, we did it we got through the bloody world cup final didn't we
1: Oh we did there we are. good we work did. we got through all of them Yeah I think with man of the match and dick of the day to say hmm. I think we should end the world cup final with man of the match I think we should do dick of the day first So I, I agree one man I have written down is Alan Wetton for not scoring. It's like, mate, you do it in every other game. <laughs> Fair enough. They don't do it in the final, yep. bottler. One man is Daniel DeBronka because he was just being a dick all day. <laughs> and all power to him. But Absolutely. But the, the dick of the day, for me, is the guy who tries to trip the chicken. <laughs> yes, the chicken tripper. Yeah, the, the chicken did a great job of escaping him, though. So it was all fine. Guy looked like a dick. So, yeah, he's my of the day.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I think that's a very, very good shout. I do want to mention Serge Blanco, mm-hmm. who, so that David Kirk try comes from Serge Blanco not calling the mark in the 22. Oh, you're right. When he's under enormous pressure. And yeah, I think that is a, a... It's a howler game. in a
1: World Cup final. Yeah. Yeah. From a
0: world-class I player I think as well. they probably would lost the game anyway, but it's a big turning point. It's a yeah, big mistake. swing, him yeah. doing that.
1: It's a valid point.
0: So I think that's a real dick of the day possibility moment. Yeah. And otherwise though I think it's actually quite a hard game to pick a dick of the day for. It is. Because I think it is a game in which virtually everyone stands up and plays well. Like yes I can nominate Blanco for that moment but like he plays really well otherwise. He does. He does. I don't Think there's a kind of weak link in either team. It's a properly great World Cup final. But that said, my dick of the day is Kerry Fitzgerald, the referee, who oh, I'm gosh. so glad it's 20 years on because he he was a prick.
1: Yeah, fair play. Or at least he
0: refereed like a prick. Yeah, or at least I don't play. know him
1: personally. Fair play.
0: I so my dick of the day, day, Kerry Fitzgerald, the referee, for blowing 800 uncontestable balls when they
1: were playable. Grumble, yeah. grumble, grumble. Entirely fair. For Man of the Match, I have a few written down. So, yes. obviously, I have written down Jean Chiquen, the chicken, who runs on at the start <laughs> yes. of the I have to have him written down. Unfortunately, there are two factors why he doesn't win it. One of them being okay. the fact that the World Cup final is kind of a bit of a bullshit thing to give Man of <laughs> the Match <laughs> yeah, yeah. to a chicken. To a chicken. The second one is resemblance to Feathers McGraw, who I fucking despise. Right? That's and true, that's true. He is the same species. He's the same species as Feathers McGraw, and look, I know that's not Jean's fault, but it, I could never yeah. give Man of the Match to somebody who could feasibly be a relative of Feathers. Okay,
0: okay. It is why I won't give Man of the Match to any of the players in this game, because they are all the same species as Paddy Jackson.
1: Oh yeah, I guess so, I guess so who is uh, arguably maybe the, even worse That was than a less fans. funny example to bring up. Yeah. yeah. There's
0: an argument to be made. Why um, is not Therese McGraw signed for Irish yet? Yeah. He seems right up there, straight.
1: Anyway, maybe he has, and he's just wearing a different hat. Maybe exactly he's Nick, Nick Phipps. Phipps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We both land on the same <laughs> player. That can't be a coincidence. <laughs> Speaking of halves, I have B- Pierre Bebezier. I think he's France's best player in this game. Mm. I think he's fantastic okay. in defence and in attack. But... Man of the match I landed on was David Kirk. I think he kicks brilliantly. Okay. And he takes his try really well. I like He that. leads the team well. And I just think he stood up when he absolutely needed to. And I think this is by a long way his best game in the World Cup. And he, it was exactly the the performance that was asked of a captain in the first ever World Cup final. Yeah. I think David Kirk was fantastic. So he's my man of the match. You know what? I,
0: I kind of agree with that. I, I think this is his best game of the tournament. I think he is brilliant. And I... I was complete, completely in agreement with that, and mm-hmm. you'll you'll slowly swing me around. I think the best player on the field is Eric Schomp. I he's think great. he has the best game. I think he has the best game by any forward in this tournament.
1: Oh, that's
0: a I big think call! It is the most impressed I have been by a forward in this tournament overall across the whole thing. I think he's he's absolutely immense, and we've talked about him a bit. Yeah, but the sheer work great he puts in, yeah. yeah, those moments like he makes a few huge carries he makes one really lovely pass which is really unlike him but there are so many little moments of him just like getting in amongst the all blacks and like the moment like really stood out to me of him smashing buck shelford who looked like he was going to score into touch and beats like that like him him really getting in grant fox's face at one point him putting john mm. Kerwin into touch when he's got a bit of space I just thought he was absolutely everywhere, and I don't know what it is about number six is playing for France in World Cup finals. But there's there's something about them. There's something about them. I can't wait to watch 1999 and suddenly you know pick a winners at six for France that day. I think so. he your man of the match. Field. I'm really tempted to give it to him, but I think Michael Jones is right up there with him. I think Michael he's Jones is bloody a good.
1: Team. Yeah,
0: and I also think though Grant Fox and David Kirk are both outstanding. Mm. but i think if i'm completely honest right and it doesn't really reflect the thing but i think the best performance on the day was eric chomp and i i've done enough joke contenders or i've kind of like swung around or just given it to someone that scored tries and so on in this tournament right Mm. That i kind of want to give it to the guy that i genuinely do think played best i applaud the final i applaud and i'm gonna say my man of the match for the 1987 rugby world cup final if I was on commentary and awarding an official man of the match, I probably would have agreed if you had gone to David Kirk. But yeah. in the format of this podcast, where you've already given him one, I, I'm going to concede a bit, and also because I've gone second, Respect. so I don't need to give it to David Kirk, and give it to Eric Champ, the French Respect. flanker. Respect. Fair play. Who Fair play. also, Kim, Rodriguez, and L'Oreau, the second row, were known mm. in France as the Free giraffes. The giraffes, um, yes. So a bit we did discuss this. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So... That wow! almost three-hour
1: done... podcast, the longest yes. we've done by some distance. I think there's a chance this is going to get split in two.
0: <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Brings down the curtain on the 1987 Rugby World Cup series.
1: Wow. Thank That's you been so journey. much for listening. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been bizarre that anyone would listen to us talk about this. So thank it's you been so much for unbelievably the whole, niche. whole time. Yes. This has been one of the most niche
0: pieces of rugby content ever put out. Genuinely, yes. And the fact that people have listened and enjoyed it... Thanks anyone who's played along with the joke. Thank you. Yeah, anyone that's got through the end of a
1: three-hour episode on a game from 35 years ago, you are magical people. Thank you. The good news is we're going to carry on talking about it to wrap it up in the next episode. Yes. So, please,
0: join us again... Very soon, we're we'll back next week, presumably, to wrap up the World Cup, go for our players of the tournament, our team of the tournament, all of that, work through the whole thing. We'll put a poll on Twitter for your player of the tournament to, to get your votes and etc. And then beyond that, we've also got something exciting new that we want to do, where we're going to do a draft team between the 1987 and 2011 tournaments. Hell yeah. we roll through that and slowly pick squads that we'll put against each other and pick for kind of votes and see... So that will get so an episode best dream team.
1: Yes, yes. yes. I'm so come excited. After that.
0: So am I. We're going to pull them between them, and we'll add to one after each World Cup. We finish. We'll then add another episode looking at the draft and adding to our teams and building our squads out. Our dream Rugby World Cup squads out, it's which I think so is quite good. an exciting thing that we'll be slowly building up. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to the end of 1987. But beyond this, we will be moving on to another.
1: World Cup. Oh, we're going to this announce cup. it. I'm going to say which we one will we're going to do. Be
0: moving on. After this, after those next two episodes, wrapping this up to after probably a quite short break. Looking at
1: the 2007 Rugby World Cup. How exciting is that? It's the last World Cup before we got into rugby. That's so cool. The yeah. players that we were like learning oh at the time. I'm so excited to get into and- 2007
0: there's a level of like, because I remember the 2007 Rugby Cup, what happened. I remember watching like a couple of mm. games, but I wasn't as invested in the way I was by 2011. Yeah, like you didn't you care. Know, like I was yeah. Kinda, yeah, I was aware of it. And I watched a few games. And I remember the final. I remember one Wales' games. I don't remember which one. And I remember like bits of that, but like it's not one I know inside out. And so there's a lot to learn, yes. even though obviously you pick up a lot through, you know, rugby osmosis and learning and studying it and it being my job and so on. So I'm really excited about that. Also, obviously, with the fact that This World Cup that we've covered in 87 was a mirror of the first World Cup we covered in 2011, which we covered for kind of like partly nostalgic reasons, partly kind of like interesting to see how the game had changed in 10 years because we're, you know, 10 year anniversary of that happening. We are obviously looking at 2007 because it's a direct parallel to what's happening next year in 2023 when the World Cup
1: returns to France. It's going to be great before we go to that World Cup to have the knowledge of what happened the previous time it was hosted there. It's going to be so good.
0: Yeah. So the plan is we will be covering every single game from the 1980... 1980- no, from the- <laughs> we've already done that. Oh, shit. <laughs> done that I can't yeah. get out of the habit. From the 2007 Rugby World Cup coming up on this podcast very soon. Hopefully more of you see that as relevant because it's more crossover. <laughs> but I hope you've enjoyed... What we've done on 1987. We've tried to be fairly comprehensive. I still feel like, as I said, we've got stuff left on the table. But that's grand. I feel like I've learned an awful lot. I've experienced a lot. I've lived a lot. I've loved a lot. And I've hated even more. I've felt a lot. mostly, I've certainly felt a lot. How do you feel now this is over? Fine. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. But if there's one thing I've taken away from this tournament one thing I think we've both taken away from this tournament is Mm a love of one particular phenomenon. So I think there can only be three words that can possibly end this series of the podcast. It can possibly end this mammoth, almost three-hour episode on Mm -hmm. the 1987 Rugby World Cup final. Why did we do this? How does anyone let us get away with this and continue listening? Cool. Thank you for doing so, though. And so I think to play us out, as begun the tournament... In the very first game, a phenomenon we became, we fell deeply in love with, and has become a core part of the podcast identity since. I think, and forever yeah. will be going forward when we cover future World Cups. I think there's only three words we can possibly end this on, and I haven't discussed this with Will, but I believe you agreed on the same three words. Indeed, and so it is time for us to say goodbye, good night, see you very soon. See you very much, I was going to say. See you very much. But more importantly... Dog Dog on the the pitch!
1: pitch! Thank you. Good night. (laughs) Good night.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.